0: Amen. Well, we're turning together this evening in God's precious word to Colossians and the chapter 1. Paul's letter to the Colossians and to the chapter 1. If you have been with us on a Tuesday night, you will know that we have been looking into this letter. We're still in the first chapter, and our study in Colossians. Uh, is not a verse by verse exposition of the letter. It's not an exhaustive study. And yet the more I look into this letter, uh, the more I see in it and therefore we're only coming to scrape, Uh, the surface of this letter but it is my prayer that there will be a nugget a golden nugget that you could take of the truth of God's word perhaps some gem or truth that the Lord would bless to your heart and that you would get that food uh, for your soul and so we're coming tonight to chapter one and our reading commences at the 20th verse Colossians 1 and the verse 20 and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. which hath been hid from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Amen. We'll end there at the end of the chapter, and may the Lord bless his word to our hearts this evening. We have been trying to give something of an overview or an outline to this first chapter. And that general outline that we have noted, and that the Apostle Paul is setting forth, firstly, the supremacy of Christ. And he's wanting us to see that he is the Most High. And we drew attention to those key words at the end of verse 18, that in all things he might have the preeminence, the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he will be supreme in all things. And we noted there that he was preeminent in conversion, in creation, and also in the church. In all things he must have the preeminence. And so the Lord Jesus Christ and his supremacy. But then we noted last time, the sufficiency of Christ. And there in verse 19, we took that as our text last Tuesday night, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And we highlighted that word fullness, to speak about the fullness of the Lord, and to bring from that the sufficiency of Christ in all things. When you compared the words in chapter 2, And the verse 9, it enlarges more upon that fullness and what that fullness in Christ is. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the fullness of the Godhead is found in Christ. And therefore, he's sufficient. He's sufficient in all things. The perfection of his fullness is, and the provision of his fullness, and the partaking of his fullness, they're the things that we brought out last Tuesday night together, just to show there the sufficiency of Christ in all things. There are further things here concerning the work of Christ and what he does for his people and what he does in his people and what he does through his people, it's all given to us here to show his sufficiency. we will not take time to go into all of those things. Over the past months, I have even spoken at times on some of those things. For example, it speaks here about reconciliation, And a few lords days ago, I spoke on that very subject of reconciliation. And also here it speaks of the redemption that the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished. And you can see there from where we took up our reading in verse 20, the peace that has been made by the Lord Jesus Christ. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, By him to reconcile all things unto himself. And also the hope. You could go away down to the end of verse 27. And there you read those words. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And all of these things that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for and in and even through his people. The sufficiency of the Saviour. And you look there at the verse 21. That shows us something of our past, that past position, what we were before uh, we were saved. And Paul writes, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. My threefold description there of the unconverted soul. They're alienated alienated from God, cut off from God. They're enemies of God, and we're guilty by way of sinners of being. They're guilty of wicked works. Then when you come into the verse 22. That's coming from the past to the present. Here's what the Lord has now made us. Verse 22 says, In the body of his flesh through death to present you, Here's another threefold description, but this time it's of the saved soul to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And when you go through all of those terms and expressions, may you could uh, preach a sermon on any one of them. But just to show tonight by way of reference the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ in his person and in his work and in all that he has accomplished for and in and through his people. And so we have outlined chapter 1 by thinking about the supremacy of Christ and then the sufficiency of Christ. But tonight we come to think about the submission to Christ. The submission to Christ. And that really follows because as we're presenting the Lord as being supreme and we're presenting him as being sufficient and he's all supreme and all sufficient in all things, therefore the responsibility of his people is to submit ourselves to him. And Paul is speaking in the passage that we have read together tonight. He's speaking personally about his own Christian life. But as he speaks personally to the Colossians, there is, of course, an application for us. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And therefore, there's profit for us tonight. And just as I have gone through this passage and the things that have stood out to me, and I want to leave them before you tonight in relation to... That's submission to Christ. And we see it here through the example of the Apostle Paul. Firstly, submission in Paul's service. We can see submission in Paul's service. If you look at the end of verse 23, and we find the Apostle saying there, Whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, i made a minister. And he's referring there to his service, the ministry. And then when you look at the verse 25, the beginning of verse 25, he repeats that. And he says, whereof I am made a minister? And he's referring here to his ministry of service. Now, when we think about that term minister, we maybe think about the individual in the pulpit. But the word minister here simply means servant. He's a servant for the Lord. A servant is one who carries out and executes the commands of another. And that's where the Apostle Paul puts himself here by way of submission. He's saying, I'm submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm becoming his servant. That's what the word minister there means. And Paul refers to his ministry. And when he does that, he's referring to his service. If you glance back in chapter one, back to the verse seven, you'll see that term appearing again in relation to Epaphras. And he was the pastor of the church at Colossae. And it says in verse seven As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear. Fellow servant who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. And that simply means a faithful servant of Christ. And that's what we all should seek to be, to be faithful servants of Christ. And yet, Paul's ministry here, Paul's service, it would include the preaching of the word. We know that he was a preacher. Verse 25, where he says, Whereof I am made a minister, or I am made a servant, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. And so he makes reference here to the word of God. And he says to fulfill the word of God. What does he mean by fulfill? If you have a margin in your Bible... You'll see there the reference to verse 25 and to that word fulfill. And it could be translated fully to preach the word. And so when he's saying there at the end of verse 25 to fulfill the word of God, he's actually saying to fully preach the word of God. And therefore in his ministry, in his service, he was wanting to fully preach the word of God. The whole counsel of God. When he wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 6, he said, Of the Lord who hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. Able ministers of the New Testament. And so Paul, in submitting himself to the Lord Jesus Christ, he's submitting himself in service. And we see that through his ministry. And then we can see it as well through his message. And his message there is really summed up for us in those verses 27 and 28. He says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And there he's revealing to us something of the mystery of the gospel and the riches there of the mystery of that gospel that would be revealed and made known to the Gentiles. Christ in you, the Lord Jesus Christ, the living Savior within your heart. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Being able to look forward with that great hope, that sure and certain hope, with that blessed assurance of glory. That's the service, that's the message that Paul was engaged in. You see in the verse 28, there's the motive in his preaching. He says, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Do you see there in his service the burden that he had for souls? His whole motive there, his whole design was to see souls saved and won for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that respect, Paul is submitting himself to serve the Lord the responsibility of service, and what a servant of the Lord Paul was, and what an example he therefore becomes to us this evening, that we submit ourselves afresh to the Lord, and his supremacy, knowing his sufficiency, and seeking to forward the gospel of Christ to the salvation of souls. Paul's submission in service. But then secondly, Paul's submission in sufferings. Verse 24 of our Bible reading. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you? The Apostle Paul here, as he's submitting to the Lord and he's serving the Lord, he speaks about his sufferings. And we would be in no doubt tonight as to the sufferings of the Apostle Paul and the hardships that he endured as he sought to serve the Lord. Personal sufferings. He says, they're my sufferings. He knew what it was to suffer. Even as he writes this letter, he's a prisoner. One of his prison epistles. If we were in any doubt... As to the sufferings that the apostle endured, 2 Corinthians 11 and the verse 24 and following would actually convince us something of what he suffered. We'll not go down that list of sufferings, but he tells us there he was whipped with the lash on five different occasions, 39 times he would have been whipped on five different occasions. And then he says, three times I was beaten, beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Three times was I shipwrecked. And you could go on there in that particular portion of Second Corinthians 11. And now Paul, writing to the Colossians, speaks about my sufferings with an S on the end. Not just something he suffered, but sufferings. Those things that he endured, those things that he had to go through. And I say endured, but when you notice our Bible reading in verse 24, he says, who now rejoice, rejoice in them. It's quite an amazing statement. The Apostle Paul rejoiced that he was counted worthy to suffer. For the cause of Christ. But you know. Something else struck me here. As I looked at this. And whenever you look closely. At verse 24. And you, you read it slowly. As to what the apostle is actually saying. Here to the Colossians. He said. Who now rejoice in my sufferings. For you. Isn't that strange. Paul says. My sufferings were for you or for your sake. And as you go on in verse 24, he says, and and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, the sufferings that he endured in his own flesh. And then he says, for his body's sake, which is the church. And the Apostle Paul is showing us here his submission to Christ through his sufferings, and he said to the Colossians, their sufferings for you, and their sufferings for the sake of his body, the church. That's what struck me. The Apostle Paul was speaking about suffering for the sake of the church. Now, let me make it clear, not in any redemptive way. No, but he suffered. Things that he had to bear, things that he had to go through, made me wonder about suffering for the church. Do we love the Lord enough to suffer for the Lord? Do we love God's people enough to suffer for God's people? Do we love the church enough to suffer for the church? Maybe you suffer a wrong. Maybe you suffer a hurt. Maybe you suffer something that you've had to endure. Well, here's the apostle Paul saying, I did it for you. I, I bore that for the body of Christ, for the church. He was willing to suffer. That shows his submission there in that willingness. It's quite remarkable. If you were to look back with me to that chapter where it gives the conversion of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9 and the verse 16, here's where he started out for the Lord. Oh, before he had been wreaking havoc in the church. But then in chapter 9, we are familiar with the conversion there on the road to Damascus. And the Lord saved old Saul of Tarsus and was going to make him the great apostle Paul. And he was chosen for service. But in Acts chapter 9 and verse 16, here's what the Lord said, For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. The Lord says, I'm going to show him what great things he will suffer for my name's sake. The Lord made no secret of that to the apostle. He was going to suffer for Christ's sake. He was going to suffer and he would do it gladly. And he would say to the Colossians, I'll do it for you. I'll do it for the sake of the church. I'll do it for the good of the church. I'll suffer those things. Told the Philippians as well. It's interesting there in Philippians, the chapter 1 and the verse 29. And he spoke to them about being saved. In Philippians 1 and 29, he says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer. For his sake. And so, Paul, when he was speaking to the Philippians, he didn't try to dress it up. He made no bones about it. He wasn't beating about the bush. He says, You come to believe on him and you'll suffer for him. If there's a gospel that goes abroad today, it can be termed at times the health and wealth gospel. A message that would be going out to say, Oh, if you were to come uh, to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you accept him as your Savior, all will be well. All your problems will be over. That's a false gospel. No. Those who come to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ will find that there are times when they will suffer for the cause of Christ. And the Apostle Paul is making that clear in his epistles. Peter, when he wrote that first epistle in chapter 4 and the verse 12, he says, Beloved, think it not a strange thing concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. They'll be thinking it strange. These things will come. And in 1 Peter 4, in the verse 15, he says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. No, don't be suffering as an evildoer in those things. But in verse 16, he says, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed Let him glorify God on this behalf. And so you can see here that if there are difficulties and afflictions and sufferings, we submit to the Lord and we're willing to bear them for the sake of the Lord and for the sake of his work for the church. And so you can see here It's in keeping with the Lord's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And the Lord said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So the Lord said, Rejoice in those sufferings. And Paul said, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you? And so there's this submission to Christ. And that submission comes through in Paul's service. It comes through in Paul's sufferings. And then thirdly, that submission comes through in Paul's striving. You look at the final verse of the chapter, you'll find that word striving. Whereunto I also labor, striving, According to his working, which worketh in me mightily. And the apostle is speaking here of striving, and that word is a word that is used to speak about the athlete. The athlete that would have taken part in the games, and Paul refers to them in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 25, those who are striving for mastery, that they might win that incorruptible crown. It was that crown of the laurel wreath that the victor in the games would have. Paul speaks about striving. He says, "I, I also labor striving. And if you think about the athlete, the athlete is one who will stretch themselves. And that word strive, the Greek word is the word agonize. And so it just comes straight over into the English and we know what the word is. But in the original Greek language, this word strive is the word agonize. And it's been brought into our everyday language. And so you know that word "agonize," and you know uh, something of what that word means when you agonize, and you think of it in relation to the athlete and the training and the exercise that they would put themselves through in their effort in stretching every muscle and every fiber and every sinew of their being. And they'll say, "There's no pain without, or there's no gain without pain." Agonize. Paul brings that word over. He uses it here spiritually, referring to his labors for the Lord, and he says, I'm striving. What effort he's, he's putting in there. Hard work. In the Lord's work, there has to be a stretching of ourselves. This word, strive, is used especially in connection with Prayer. Colossians and the chapter 4 and the verse 12 it refers to Epaphras again and Paul says Epaphras who is one of you a servant of Christ or a minister of Christ saluteth you always laboring fervently for you in prayers and you see the word fervently there that's that word agonize again It can be translated strive, or it can be translated fervent. And it's in connection with prayer. And the praphorist was one who labored fervently in prayers, or he agonized in prayer for you. And Paul, therefore, in that verse 29 of chapter 1, when he speaks about laboring and striving, I would draw from that that he's referring to prayer. And he's, along with the Epaphras, he's striving and agonizing fervently in prayer to the Lord. We could also look at Romans and the chapter 15, and with this I'll finish tonight, but Romans 15 and the verse 30. And Paul says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And there's Paul's appeal to God's people about striving. And he says, Strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And I emphasize there those words, with me. You see, it's interesting that the word strive can also be used in a negative sense. It's used in the Bible in a negative sense. When you think of those who strive, they, they can be fighting. And the word is actually translated fight in the New Testament. And so if you're fighting, you're you're opposing someone, uh, you're going against them. But Paul's using it in the positive way. And he's saying, don't fight against me. Fight with me. Strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And in that appeal tonight, I would finish there that we together would submit ourselves afresh to the Lord in our service for him and all that we would have to suffer for him and in our striving. Striving together now when we come to our season of prayer and being willing to lay hold upon the Lord, strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. We'll sing a couple of verses of a hymn, and it's the hymn 208. The hymn number 208, and the chorus says, Tell it around, let it abound, there's life in the risen Lord. Tell it around, let it abound. There's life in the risen Lord. Just the first two verses of the hymn, and we'll sing the last.